Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights special midterm election podcast edition. I am David Bonson. I am the managing partner and the chief investment officer of the Bonson Group. And we bring you this uh, advice and insights podcast to deliver our best advice and our best thinking around the key investment issues of the day, trying to tackle one issue at a time to deliver you good ideas and good perspective that may affect your portfolio decision-making. And certainly the juxtaposition of politics and markets is not a new thing. Uh, there has been a overlap and connectivity uh, both in perception and in reality for, for many, many years. And while the uh, uh, magnitude of the connection between what happens in the political sphere and how it plays into markets is often misunderstood, misinterpreted, or overstated, uh, certainly there can be no doubt that uh, most investors and market actors uh, had a great deal of interest in the midterm election results from uh, from last night. And, and I think that we now have a little bit of clarity on a number of things. Uh, and I want to share my key insights, uh, kind of having reviewed the final uh, uh, conclusions that come out of the midterm election. Uh, and and so I guess the first uh, tidbit I would offer is this was uh, most certainly a midterm of consensus playing out. Uh, the Democrats were widely expected uh, to to take back the house, the majority control of the House of Representatives, and they were not expected to do it at the same magnitude by which. The Republicans did so in uh, 2010. Both those things played out. The Democrats took the House. They took it by a comfortable margin, but not with that same overwhelming mandate that took place out of 2010, what President Obama at the time famously called a shellacking. But then on the other side of the Congress, in the other chamber, uh, the Democrats came in with a 49-seat minority of the Senate, and it looks like they're going to see that minority interest go from about 49 down to 45, possibly 46. Put differently, the Republicans had a 51 majority, and they're going to see that expand. Uh, possibly 54, maybe 55. The the key was not just in the offense of the Republicans picking up a number of seats we're going to talk about in a moment, but them playing defense so successfully, apparently everywhere but Nevada, where incumbent Senator Dean Heller has lost his seat. I don't think that's been officially announced yet, but it's a, a kind of a done deal. Um, and it does appear that Martha McSally in Arizona has been successful in retaining Jeff Flake's seat, although even that is not totally official at this time. But it, that's a pretty meaningful win 
for the Republicans uh, and for Congresswoman McSally to now be Senator McSally is just holding in the GOP column um, a Republican seat they already had. But the seats that were um, also thrown out as vulnerable, Ted Cruz in Texas, and most uh, most interestingly, Marsha Blackburn fighting for Bob Corker's seat in Tennessee, uh, where a popular former Democrat governor, Phil Bresden, was running for the Senate seat. And Blackburn had really been trailing in the polls throughout most of the year, all the way up to about the time of the Judge Kavanaugh hearings. And, and at that time, uh, Marsha Blackburn, congresswoman from Tennessee, uh, went ahead in the polls, never looked back, ended up handily winning uh, that Senate seat last night. So the Republicans played defense in the Senate quite well. Um, again, looking like the only seat that they will have given up is uh, Dean Heller in Nevada. Uh, Nevada looking increasingly like not just a purple state, but a full blue state. Um, but then you had the Republicans play offense. In Missouri, defeating Claire McCaskill. In Indiana, defeating Joe Donnelly. Uh, as it stands now, uh, John Tester's seat in Montana is too close to call. I'm getting conflicted word on what people expect that will happen as that final vote counting gets done. Um, and let's see, am I missing any other flips? And then in, in Florida, Rick Scott, the governor, successfully beating Bill Nelson, the incumbent senator. So you just, you really had a remarkable, oh, and then uh, Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota also losing, which was widely expected in the recent polls. So uh, effectively, the Republicans 51 goes down to 50 in losing Nevada, but then goes up to 54 with Missouri, Indiana, Florida, and North Dakota. And if indeed they flip uh, Montana, you'll be at 55. So fears in the market of a blue wave obviously did not play out. You, But I think both sides get their little talking points. So Democrats can now state that they have the House. And um, and Republicans can can state that they added rather convincingly to their, their uh, seats in the Senate. Um, Let's talk market implications. I think most of that kind of political rundown is not really new news for anybody. Um, but in terms of what this really means uh, to investors, okay? Um, first, let me start with a couple state issues that I think have national implications that are very pertinent to investors. And we're going to talk about an oil and gas regulatory bill in Colorado that, thank God, was crushed. <clears throat> and a um, rent control bill in California that also went down rather rather convincingly. This bill reminds me of the initiative in 2016 that had to do with Medicare with pricing with drug price fixing. And again, California being such a large state, there being a heavy heavy national effort. Um, that would have served not just, I think, as a certain policy prescription in the uh, state of California. I was about to call the People's Republic of California, but I avoided doing that. Uh, no, in the state of California, um, there not only was a um, 
rejection of that, but it also then served as kind of a change in national modeling of, of how other states may want to go about doing that. And I think this rent control bill, it was Proposition 10 in California, will serve as the same thing. Had it passed, I think it not only would have had a profound impact on real estate markets for the negative in California, but it also would have teed up for other states a model for how they could go about passing similar legislation. So the failure of Prop 10 in California is good, uh, I think, for, for real estate investors and a general avoidance of what is very economically contractionary around rent control. And then in Colorado, this oil and gas tax bill, there's two things. Not only will the heightened regulatory environment to a point, I think, of sort of silliness. Not only did that fail in uh, Colorado, but um, it failed by a lot larger margin than the polls had been indicating, which which maybe tells you a, a little something about the polling sample. Shockingly, Proposition 6, so when I, I say shockingly, uh, in California, which was to repeal a gas tax, um, I never really did see polling that suggested it was going to fail or pass or what have you. Um, it was more just that the <clears throat> that the um, sentiment in the circles I'm in was so in favor of Prop 6, which would have repealed uh, the gas tax that and it seemed to me to be such a regressive tax that I thought there would be more popular support for it. But no, by a pretty wide margin, uh, Prop 6 failed and that's being and a lot of money was thrown at defeating it. Uh, so you could argue that this will then increase some infrastructure spending and be good for some of the construction companies and and so forth uh, involved in that ecosystem in the state of California. Uh, I don't think that the listeners uh, to this podcast only want me to stay in California, but overall, it, it was an interesting night. We're still waiting on some results to get finalized. Probably some of the most important bills uh, uh, in, in California, Prop 6 and Prop 10, um, both, uh, both not passing. Um, let me give you the national picture real quick. Um, look, healthcare sector, I think, was the big winner last night. Uh, and, and I don't believe anything's going to be changing around Obamacare. But I think that a lot of the, the initiatives driven at more price fixing in the drug business uh, went down around the country. And a lot of the candidates who were such advocates of more extreme measures in controlling prices uh, failed. Um a lot of people are asking with this divided government, uh, does the market care? The answer is no. Markets generally have light divided government. On the margin, having somebody like Maxine Waters now chair um, the House Financial Services Committee, uh, I think could end up being a negative just as a headline matter. I don't think it has any legislative or substantive impact. Um from there's questions as to whether or not a national infrastructure bill will be able to get done. Well, is it in the Democrats' best interest to compromise with the president? Is it in his best interest to do so with them? And and I'm open to the idea that one of those two sides could actually move a little to try to get an infrastructure bill done. But I would be very skeptical, very skeptical. 
that there is uh, going to be any movement or political working together to see something like that happen. Um, I think that the consumer staples sector will be a beneficiary. There's automatic defensiveness in there. Um, I think that it had been an underpriced sector. Uh, I, th I don't think I think most of the events last night are neutral around tax policy, around trade policy. So we shall see. Um, but but in terms of our overall takeaways, we're doing nothing different today than we were doing yesterday. Um, on a national scale, somewhat unrelated to the election, but you could argue maybe the fact that there was no big shock in the election, election results, that this reinforces it. I'm now more and more of the mindset that there are two phases to the China trade negotiations. One will be a temporary a possibility of a temporary deal, and then I think the other would be um, – the, excuse me, but the the concept of the longer term issues that have to get resolved. I would not be surprised to see a temp deal, which would be probably bullish short term for markets, passed in late November, early December. I should say probably into December. Something that gets done out of that November 30th summit going into Q1, and and then I think the possibility exists of a um. A uh, uh, really dragged out process in 2019 as far as the deal with China. So if you have any questions at all about specifics related to the rest of the uh, midterm election results, do not hesitate to ask. But I strongly, by way of advice, recommend investors find the right asset allocation and not uh, believe that the politics of last night will have a profound impact in the markets, for they will not. You see the futures getting ready to open the Dow this morning up 200 points. We'll see if that holds or not, but I think it indicates a little bit of relief. Markets, of course, are up over 1,000 points in the last six days anyways, and so it's be good to get this behind us, but then the bad news is we're going to go into the 2020 presidential election in about five minutes and uh there you go again hopefully there will be some reprieve but um i doubt it so this is the politicized world in which we live for the uh world of markets and their relentless pursuit of rational capital and profit optimization um i think that that's what uh, ought to be our priority as investors too and that's what uh we we are back to the business of uh as fun and interesting as some of the political distractions may be thanks for listening to vice and insights podcast rate us on itunes uh, if you're going to give us a good rating if you're not then don't rate us at all uh subscribe any of the players that you happen to use uh please put in your feed and with that said reach out to david bonson or any of the fine private thank you for listening bonson. to our advice and insights podcast with david l bonson the Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. 
All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.